0: That you just told me, literally moments ago, after well before you started besmirching your fellow band members, was was that you guys have never toured internationally before? Yeah, in March it will be our first trip to Europe. How, how, how is that? I, like I'm trying to wrap
1: my brain. How long have you guys been a band for? We've been a band for like I don't know 22 years. <laughs> and when you're in your 40s and preparing to release an album and drive around the country in circles. Um, having uh, having dates on your list that say Rotterdam and Zurich is just about as exciting as it gets. So for, even though we're playing places that hold 200 people yeah. instead of 1,500 people, uh, it's this will be super nervous. We'll be super psyched. It's fresh for something fresh at this point. It's just awesome.
0: Well, that's, that's that's nice. It's nice It's nice to almost like get, get a chance to kind of reinvent yourself after 22 years, right? Uh, yeah,
1: and, and we are actually going to be doing something of a reinvention because we don't have the stage size or the budget to bring yep. all of our gear. I'm going to be just playing a drum kit, and people won't be uh, saying, oh, you know, Guster has to have percussion or Guster has to sound a certain way. We could just play our new album and see what they think of it. And so there's something liberating and like, you know, and being able to do whatever we want out there with any without any yeah. preconceived notions i've got to imagine you guys
0: have a like you haul a lot of shit around when you tour right i mean everybody's gotten <laughs> nine or ten instruments with them at, yeah. at any I mean, one time
1: there's like a on-stage musical chairs mm. like we play a song and then we look at the set list and then we're like okay this song what what instrument do i play on this song and everyone switches around and yeah. uh you know it takes a sec and I switch between a percussion kit and a drum set, and everyone else switches the bass and the guitar and the keyboards back and forth. So um, we're a fairly high-maintenance band yeah. to be a tech for at this point. But uh, in Europe, we don't have that luxury, so we'll just go out there and be a rock band.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So so everyone's everyone's kind of sticking more
1: or less to one or two instruments like a normal we're band for have the tour? To, you know, yeah. uh, we're going to have to break it down a little bit and you know just... Uh, do what we can do in a small club and I think it'll all be fun for us it is, it is yeah i mean especially like especially
0: these days when you can you know when you can like record a orchestral suite in your bedroom like you need you need limitations and your and this is this is sort of a this is an opportunity for a forced limitation yeah
1: i i agree with you like anyone can make a record with a perfect snare sample on it yeah and so when you're recording it's like, well do I want to have the most perfect snare sample it's like no i wanna I want sound like a band that's been playing together i want yeah. I want to go out there and do something that's harder to do and that's you know raw and real and so um yeah we want we use a lot of synths on our new album and uh and orchestral samples and all these things but uh you know the challenge is to do something that sounds Real for us, and you know, that part of why we're so excited about this yeah. new album. Is you know, we made it in three weeks, even though the last two records took a year each, you know. Yeah,
0: we, I mean, I, I'm assuming that at that point you didn't know that you were gonna be touring sort of stripped down Europe. That was that probably would have been pretty early when you're actually in the studio recording the songs. No, you
1: know, um, we didn't know there was any Europe or anything when you're in the studio, you just really kind of focused on. Getting the essence of the song down, working with the producer, and yeah. you know, getting a great take, and figuring out how you're going to make music you're proud of. Um, you know, we signed on to Network Records, which is like an independent label, uh, and they have they wanted to put this out uh, overseas, and that was fine for us. There's a little tour support, so even though we all made a bunch of kids, and it's totally ill advised at this point in our lives, we're just going to go and start over out there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that actually,
0: I mean, if that, if, if, if sort of, I guess in a sense, kind of getting back to roots, if that actually has a an impact on the music that you're making moving ahead.
1: I mean, uh, it's weird when people ask questions like, oh, did you, you know, did you set out to make a less poppy record? Did you sure. try to, uh, you know, use less guitar or, or whatever? We were never really deliberate about those things. You just kind of get together in a room and see what happens. Um, well, I know. just mean
0: that from the standpoint of like of of you know of, of actually like going out there and playing in a totally different ways. It's gonna it's gonna probably impact the way that you guys play together.
1: Yeah, you know, I think for for me it's a little nerve wracking in a sense because I don't have the percussion kit to lean on as like a uh, a thing that I do that kind of can bring the house down. Uh, you know, I'm kind of an average drummer, so I don't have my I don't have my superpower. Yeah. But it's also good for us because this new album is like that. Hey, Luke just got here. Yeah. Luke is in our band. It's happy hour here, 4 to 8. Hey, brother. Hey, what's, going on, dude? what's up? Do you want a drink before yeah. you settle in? Or, yeah.
2: Who wants drinks? I'll,
1: I'll have a shock top. Starting, man. What do you got right there? Uh, this is a. I'm Brian. Hey, Brian. It's yeah. on I was Mike going. Greenhouse. It's on Mike Greenhouse. He left it. Uh, I'm drinking Buffalo Trace. Buffalo by, Trace. Right, yeah. up. Um, shock, shock to-
0: <laughs> All right, so this this is your opportunity to get everything out about him before yeah. he actually sits down. You know, the guy doesn't shower uh, more than once a week. No. He actually seems like he might be the cleanest dude in the band, yeah, like yeah, from I the pictures that, I've that, seen that, of you guys. That's actually
1: the rest of us, and he yeah. actually showers every Because you
0: guys were like guess it were like nature boys right <laughs> I mean, that's I'm like this is this is like i don't know how many questions how many like in, interviews start with a question about you guys like
1: basically meeting in the forest somewhere oh right yeah well we met on a college wilderness orientation yeah i we went on like week-long hiking trips with our groups before college started and met on the bus on the way home after having been hiking for a week so yeah. um in that sense we're we're nature boys and also um, Adam started a non profit that uh greens the music industry and so we tour in an environmentally responsible way, so we're nature boys that way. She was saying and, that,
0: that I guess Ryan's in Vermont sort of living in
1: on a commune or something. Ryan lives in Vermont. He does not live on a commune, <laughs> he doesn't even recycle. Uh, but uh <laughs> but yeah, we uh there's lots of ways you could put an applicable nature boy tag on us. Yeah. Um uh, but uh you know, we are we are not a jam band.
0: This is interesting though, because I want to I want to I wanna, take me through this a little bit. Like you guys, you guys meet on this nature retreat, and you're like, "Hey, let's go start a rock band." Like, how does that? Or are you just like forming the bonds that will hold you
1: together? We formed a friendship. Um, but it was a friendship based on the fact that all three of us had just said goodbye to our beloved high school bands. I see. And maybe oh, this is
0: right. This is right after
1: we're literally 18 years old. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, my high school band Toe Jam had just said farewell, and we weren't too serious, but we played at the local talent show. And Toe the, Jam
0: had to be a jam band. That's almost in the name, right?
1: We like we, we actually we covered REM and the Grateful Dead and we actually covered the original songs of grateful dead cover bands oh okay <laughs> uh, Wait, the original
0: songs of grateful dead yeah, cover so, bands yeah so like there's a
1: band called max creek that like you know sounded like oh, the dead the original songs that we they covered wrote max creek songs yeah that wow. was that was our niche but ryan played in a band called the silence s i l e n t s and they, like, covered Depeche Mode and Duran Duran and The The yeah. and, like, a bunch of British rock. You know, they love the Stone Roses, and he taught us a lot about that world. And, you know, Adam was in a band that, you know, played um, In a White Room by Cream. Cream,
0: yeah. <laughs> a, a, a heavy rock band. Yeah.
2: A, a riff
1: band. I think they covered I'm Just Looking For Some Tush.
0: Easy mm-hmm. Top. So uh, that th- see this is th- this 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 shit is interesting to me because this is like obviously three very different musical backgrounds what yeah, and oh, then g- you
1: throw Luke in the mix and this guy can speak so many different languages musically like he knows his classic rock, but you know the guy like, gets off on the latest yeah. indie band too, so I didn't realize that um, coming to the tavern for an interview meant getting drunk and talking about your record I was like, that's what I'm doing this, like
0: go, go, go. I knew that you guys are going to be doing an interview or that you were going to be doing an interview beforehand I knew you'd be here for a little while I thought both of you would be and I thought this is what a good opportunity for me to come in three drinks in and really get like get the truth get the truth it, of the situation when
1: the, when this last shock top pint is in the belly you'll get the real truth until then you'll just get until <laughs> then you'll just get some talking points
0: Well, I had, this is like you know I, I asked I asked you before when we were trying to like find a, a venue to uh, to do the interview and in, um, you know I, I, I thought this would be like a, a reasonably nice relatively quiet place as far as bars go but I had to ask because I feel like once you get rock bands past the age of 30 there's about maybe a 6040 split of um, totally sober people. You know what I mean? I mean, like you know, I'm sure that a lot of these people are your peers, and it's just like once you get to a certain point. Yeah, exactly. Like you either you know whether it's something you can have in your life or whether you just can't handle it. I
1: come from the. I'm not with my kids right now. I'm gonna drink school.
2: Um, uh, I've never been to rehab. I've made it through the danger zone. School. Okay. Well, you're drinking. Well, you're drinking like a screwdriver. Okay. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, so this is this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a little difficult to navigate. I think yeah, if, if you he drinks in there.
1: When, when you got something amazing to just, say, just
0: I'll eat the, the mic. Eat the mic. Well, we, I was trying. I was trying to uh, like cram in all the like, like reminiscing stuff as, as you're on the way, because you're
2: you're kind of the new guy, yeah, right? I'm, the new guy. I'm I'm a new guy uh, almost five years now. Yeah, five years. It's five years in. But we've known each other since we were. Well, I met the guys in a recording studio in Nashville. We were cutting records across the hall from one another they were recording keep it together yeah which came out in 2003 uh at the sound Emporium studios on belmont boulevard nashville tennessee and uh we met out in the lobby during the sessions and that was you know 11 years ago yeah Uh, uh i was also friends really close friends with joe pasapia who preceded me in the band joe was in for almost eight years and made uh uh, the last uh, well, Made Easy, Wonderful, Ganging Up on the Sun, and a couple tracks on Keep It Together. Um, and Joe and I were really close friends, too. Um, uh, when when it, when Joe decided to um, pursue other musical endeavors, um, everyone called me up. All Gusters. Ryan, uh, Brian, Adam, and Joe, uh, and asked if I would join. And that yep. was almost five years ago. So we were already homies. It was already family. It was a really... Uh, natural progression from. So, so you, you, you sort of you came in mid record? Is that. I came in just before Easy Wonderful okay. was getting ready to release. Um, so I came in like June 2010 is when the dudes called me, and then
1: we. Uh, well, they released um, Easy Wonderful in October. So Luke had to play Joe's parts on Easy Wonderful, yeah. which was, you know, a good introduction for Luke to being in our band, but I'm sure Luke the whole time was like. I just wanna write and record my own Guster record with these guys and that's what Evermotion is. It's you know, Luke is all over the place. From the bass lines to the melodies of the song Gangway to the whole record is, you know, a big step for us because there's a whole new energy in the yeah. band.
2: So being your first your first actual record. Yeah, but yeah. you know like the thing that like I you know, I guess we think about sometimes is like, you know, These dudes have been a band for like 20 years, so there's like real stewardship that is earned in there um, that, you know, they've built something very real, the three of them, and then with Joe, the four of them built something very real together, so it's kind of like there's really no other way to have a a real musical relationship other than to, like, put some of those years in, like, really, like, serving that music, right? It's like, um, so, and, and again, like, with our new record, you know, Evermotion, it's like, It came about when it was ready to come about. And it's like when the four of us have been like you know sniffing each other out for like, you know, four or five years. So it was the right time. Well that's just tequila talking.
1: I've only had two sips of tequila, (laughs) just tequila talking. Yeah. We don't talk about sniffing each other unless we've been drinking. (laughs)
0: Uh, well, no, I mean, you know, so it's it was it was what it was like five what five years, four or five years between record record releases.
1: Yeah, we're generally on a four year cycle. Yeah. Uh World Cup, Olympics, presidential <laughs> elections, Guster records. What
0: what is the what's what's the process for like you know like uh, every, everyone's gone off? They're kind of leading their own lives after a certain point. Um, what what is the What's the like what's the bat signal situation? You know, like what what actually gets you guys back together?
1: You know, it's like, uh, everyone's got to be excited to get in a room and write music together. Yep. And you guys aren't just excited about writing music doesn't, all the time. It's not like a permanent state where it's like, awesome. I've got an hour free. Can't yeah. wait to write. something." no, um, you know, I, I made a couple of babies. Um, my head was there. Ryan got <laughs> into, only, yeah, not only her head. <laughs> yeah. Ryan right, got into his soundtracking, uh, soundtracking movies. His head was in there. He was getting in deep with that. Yeah. You know, um, uh, and it was uh, we had to find our chemistry in the room, so we had a bunch of basement sessions where we recorded the room for a few days, and then over the course of a year, we we're just filtering through this stuff. We're like, "Christ, that was good, that was good." So a bunch of us were ready to like go pursue some of the stuff, but it took a year. So yeah, it it takes a long time between records, but when we get in the room together, yeah. Um, and i I often think, oh, all right, well, this time, this will be the time we don 't have ideas. this will be the time where it 's over, and then there they are, and the songs come, and it 's like all right we 're still on this vector of songwriting where we 're we 're making leaps and bounds, and that 's really the only thing that matters because if you all the bullshit of the music industry dying, all the touring, all the babies, all the egos, <laughs> nothing really matters except the fact that. We're honing in on a classic pop album, and tune everything else out, focus on that, get the right producer, you know, and that's, and then I think we'll keep making records as long as we can focus on that. Right. Yeah, that was you asking for yeah, the right. mic. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
2: and, and, and we'll see you later. It's just, thank you so much. It's nice to meet you. That was just my mom that walked up. You know, for all the listeners out there, she brought us my orange mom slices and beers. Came to New York City, uh, bought us all beers, yeah. and then left us into the rain. Uh, you know, also to to just add to what what Brad was just saying, um, uh, we really only want to put out music if we're, you know, if we're incredibly passionate and can stand yeah. behind it a hundred percent. You know, there's really, especially in this day and age, where it's so easy on one level for anyone to record a record, you know, not make a record but like record a record, like there's so much background white noise out there, like you have to make, you know, you every record that you make has to be your last record, your greatest record, you have to treat it as such right, you know, and then if, and then if you're lucky, you know uh, that will just always happen, but to, to think that you could just make records for like, we got ten more records in us, it's like, I don't know man, it's like you gotta think about it, like, we have like this next great record and that's all we're gonna focus on and I think that, like, you know, I I think this is my favorite Guster record that I ever heard, and it's, yeah. and I feel like I have some, you know, you know, feel objective about it, but also, you know, this feels like this feels like a classic. pop. You might record. be a little biased on, yeah, on this on this newest one, having <laughs> this is been like the a one. classic. This is a fucking great Guster record. man. <laughs> I'm like so proud of it. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that we were talking Key about up. we were
0: talking about Van Morrison before because it, it, oh, it was playing it was earlier. Was playing. Yeah. yeah, and. uh... And I was just thinking about that the contractual obligation record that he did. You know, yeah, like, we know that record.
1: Like it's that unbelievable. We actually quoted uh, ringworm, and <laughs> <laughs> it's a hilarious idea. And um, like the shit
0: that you have to do when you're actually on the hook for additional.
1: Right. record that electric record you put out? Was
0: <laughs> that contractual? No, no, no. Your Trans Am. Was that what you're thinking
1: of? I, I think it was just Neil Young being weird. Neil Young, yeah. Trans was yeah. a, was actually an underrated '80s record. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, I, I early early like vocoder, vocoder. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the, the Van Morrison thing is hilarious. Contractual obligation to put out records. Yeah. You don't see that a lot now. But uh, um, we got you know,
0: some. Marvin Gaye put out uh, uh, "Here, My Dear." You heard that one? No. Mar- Marvin Gaye uh, was married to. Uh, uh, Barry Gordy's daughter, and in the divorce settlement, she got the proceeds from his ne- next record, oh. and it was called "Here, My Dear." That's brilliant. It's just like one of the great. It's actually really good, though. That's the difference between the Van Morrison one. It's like he actually poured himself into it.
2: I, mean, I have a hard time uh, not, you know, I have a hard time picturing Marvin Gaye ever like not absolutely destroying yeah. this dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. You
1: know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> Did he write a record for his father? <laughs> no. Oh, hands up, don't shoot! Yeah, wow. All right, we're gonna go. Yeah. yeah he uh, just got real there he got, got real, real there. there but here's a here's well, a little story we were recording Goldfly in California in 1996 and our producer Steve Lindsay happened to have the tapes to what's going on the actual original master tapes the multi-track tapes and it and I was too young to really know that record very well but he threw them up and we uh we could isolate each track and mute things and mix it ourselves and it was unbelievable no matter what you put up if you put up the <laughs> guitar slash conga track or the the live room party track you could isolate like and what's going on they're talking about the miami dolphins gonna win the super bowl it was like you could actually hear the details of what went into this recording and it was unbelievable unbelievable it sounded like you amazing, you but I was—I was, fuck it up. I was <laughs> like, no matter what you did, we were too young to even speak the language to understand why it sounded so cool. Yeah, you know, uh, <clears throat> and now we could like, a, we could learn from it more now. Yeah. Are you guys still? So, so you
0: were—you said you were in the studio for three weeks on on the new one. Are you guys still like, re, like you guys are still going into the studio and like recording like a like bands <laughs>
2: did once upon a time? This record we did. I mean, this record. Uh, you know, I think you know. It's funny. Like I was reading something yesterday in in Pop magazine. Like recording live, the recording a record live doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be better. Yeah. But I certainly think that there's some energy um, that is captured that's specific when people are playing together. And and most all of this record was us just playing together with yeah. uh with one or two tracks that are like the the machiny computery ones. But the rest of it was all full takes and then we would build off yeah. that. And a lot of that I would I would think that all of us would say hats off to our producer, Richard Swift, for, for enabling us and empowering us and and not only giving the confidence but also saying, All right, you know, man up, bro. You know, yeah. oh, you wanna like play it different? Okay, well then we're doing a whole new take and you're gonna play it right. There was a lot of that going on. So hats off to Swift for kinda really showing this band another way of recording and for people feeling very um, excited and confident
1: about the outcome,
2: right? Well, Brian, you'd, you'd mentioned three weeks. So, like, how, how did that...
0: How, how did it get recorded so quickly?
1: Yeah, I mean, for Swift, it wasn't quickly. That guy's yeah. never spent more than, his like name. nine days. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But for us, you know, where we like to um, record for six months, get in a big fight... <laughs> take three months off and then go record again for a few months um, for us to go and hammer it out in three weeks um, was a revelation You know, it was actually quite liberating to realize that all the minutia that we're used to getting into is worthless hmm. uh, Richard Swift was there and entrusted by us aesthetically to show us the big picture you know he's the guy stepping away from the canvas and saying yeah this is this is good yeah. you don't need to record the vocal 40 times you don't need to edit the drums you don't even need to mic the drums with more than one microphone and and he's and he's just like you don't even need that guitar take yeah. that guitar out of the song and it's like we're like holy shit Okay. It's really, I mean, in a sense, like, beyond, like, him being
0: a good producer, though, in a sense, it's just, like, getting somebody who's not actually playing on the record to listen to the record.
1: Yeah, someone who wasn't involved in the conception yeah. of the song yeah. can have that perspective. But this is also a guy who's a walking record collection. Yeah. Right. This is a guy who's an encyclopedia of old music, of good music, yeah. and who you, we trust to make good decisions. And, you know, this is also a guy who thinks he's right 100% of the time. <laughs> and, you know, I think he was right. 85 90% of the time which is still. pretty pretty yeah. good percentage
2: yeah. yeah you know what's also interesting is that swift is such a killing musician you, you know yeah. he plays everything drums keyboards guitars he was a uh, be- before he was a producer uh, him and his wife when they were first starting a family he was a session musician in LA he was a session keyboard player oh, wow. and a background vocalist yeah. living in Los Angeles supporting three daughters and a wife and um and and he was doing that and so uh, as such he actually ends up playing on almost all of his records uh, he's such a he's such a wonderful yeah. accomplished musician um, uh, I also think that this was kind of unique for him because he plays on most of the records he produces ah. he plays drums he plays bass he plays guitar yeah. he sings on everything so for him to actually step back and actually be able to see big picture canvas I actually wonder you know uh, if that was a uh, somewhat new experience for him I mean I would assume that you know He's made so many records by now. Um, maybe it wasn't, but I think that it, you know, I think that it was in a way. And uh, I wonder if uh, we got something different out of that. Uh, still, very much feels like a collaborative record. The five of us, Swift's fingerprints are all over this um, heavily. Uh <laughs> have you gotten?
0: Have you found like over the years? Have you gotten more or less precious about the songs? I mean, you know, it sounds like. You guys get really attached to a certain thing and maybe there maybe a fight
1: ensues over something any kept from the record. I mean, we're going to be precious about the songs because the same lesson every record is that the only thing that matters is the songs yeah. and the melody. And you can dress it up, you can have keyboards, you can have guitars, you can have drums or percussion, you can have harmonies or not. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is the quality of the melody and the song that you're writing. And so we learned that same lesson over and over and over again. Um, And so we're precious in the songwriting stage when it's like, is this the song we're putting forward? But then you get in there in the recording and it's like, you let go a little bit and you let, you know, hey, let's change the feel. Let's just kind of drop the guitar or let's, you know, run with this Harry Nielsen feel on the piano and try something. And, you know, we entrusted Swift to make sure that Everything was going to feel classic, and it did. Uh, how how is how is the the
0: dynamic of the band changed? Because uh, this is something I want to ask you guys. Because you, you guys are here in in New York, and you know, just like there's members all over the place. Um, I, I mean, obviously, it's different when you're only getting together every like four or five years to actually put the record out. But uh, I've got to imagine that that's changed kind of every every aspect of the band being that spread out.
1: Well, there was a a period where we all lived together in the same apartment in oh, Somerville, yeah. Massachusetts. You were like the monkeys. Yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> we literally would wake up, share yeah. a bathroom, share a phone, a home phone, and have all of our instruments set up in the living room and we would work on songs. And, you know, Steve Lillywhite came to that apartment in Somerville, Massachusetts, you know, pissed in that toilet. <laughs> and And it was amazing. I mean, we were 24 years old and there was Steve Lillywhite. Yeah and it was a time where we were living and breathing our music every day and it's not a healthy way to live and now we have space and perspective Um, uh, but we were in it back then and that was just like 1999 Lost and Gone Forever came out uh, and really kind of launched us Uh, so now we have families and we get together a few days out of the month and write but you know We've also put in our 10,000 hours yeah. as a band so that we we know our roles, we get together, and good things happen. Uh, so it's, it's a different way of writing now. Uh, I'm not going to say what's better or worse, but mm-hmm. we, our tastes have been refined and our bars set really high. So you know, the only songs that are going to make it onto an album are the ones that pass through a whole brain trust of quality checks.
0: You, you you touched on this a little bit uh, a little bit before, uh, you know, when we were talking about the, the gaps between records and I don't know how, how serious you're being, but I feel like there's at least a little bit of truth in it. It's just this idea of like since there's such a big gap in between putting out the records like, I don't know if we're going to have, I don't know if we have another record in, in us and we don't really realize it until, um, until we're actually recording our record. I mean, is there a sense that like we might not be a band anymore? Because we're so because <laughs> we're so like, you know, geographically and maybe mentally removed from one o- one another.
1: I think every record you have to like you have to do it for the right reasons. If you're just kind of going through the motions to obligate a record deal or because yeah. you want to make some money or you want to go back on the road, it's not going to cut it. We've got to make a record because we have something to say because we believe in it and at least with our band every record we make it and we're like holy shit i can't wait to show this to people and that's how we honestly feel and you know uh, until we get in the room and no ideas come that's how we'll do it i don't know how other how other bands feel about it i assume they have the same passion as us if they're going to put something out um but you know geography is not really a factor get together when you get together you know, having space from each other is actually something that probably hel- is healthy for the music and uh, you know a- adding like new energy from Luke adds yeah. like a whole new thing like you know Luke's bass playing is you know a whole a whole new groove on a lot of songs and uh, we're all kind of maturing with what we listen to so it infiltrates our music and you know, the, the acoustic guitars definitely took a back seat on this record, and it's because, with the help of Richard Swift, where we realize you know our music can speak and can groove with other instruments, and there's just a lot of things we can do and statements we can make that are more mature.
0: Have, have you had? Have you have you worked with this sort of gap between? I know you've been you've, you've been in bands and you've you played on you know playing play records before. Are, have you worked with this sort of like gap where it's like you know like leap years? Every leap year you're you're playing with these guys again.
2: Uh, wait, say that. Wait, say, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, between records have I had experiences like that? Yeah, prior yeah, 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 I have. Um, uh, and and so I can very much relate. i I can very much feel the urgency of wanting to put something out that feels amazing and next level and and grows on what you put out before um uh i think it's very natural at least in my own experience to put everything into a record um and and then grow and mature in between albums Mm. and and see what you release that still speaks to you what still rings true and and in a sense what you feel is missing from your body of work and then try to go seek that out i, I uh, the, the closest experience i have um to the gap between albums was um in in between my own records i had a three-year gap at one point and i worked incredibly hard um fully committed to it you know in the three years i wrote over a hundred something songs um Everyone told me I still didn't have the songs, but I was doing it for me. I just didn't feel like I had them yet. And yeah. at the end of the day, I wrote 100-something songs and I went and cut a beautiful 35-minute record three years later. And you know, the two weeks that I spent cutting that record, you know felt so much more um, so much more validated. It was so hard for me to wait that long, but it was you know it was wonderful. it was worth waiting for. I mean, whatever it takes to feel like you're putting out your best work, you just have to commit it. It's hard to wait that long. Um, It's hard to do the work. But ultimately, it's like the world needs good art when when you're ready to deliver it. So it's like do the work and keep showing up. And, you know, like Bryce said, it's like, you know.
1: That's tequila talking. (laughs) I mean, I I wish there was a two-year gap between our records. I I wish it wasn't four years. Why is that? Um, You know, we've actually been sitting on this record for almost a year you know shopping it to find out who should release it and then waiting to set it up and it's annoying because it's like you know in March of this year I could have put this album on the internet and everyone would have it by yeah. now but I didn't do that I respected the process <laughs> I, for what reason I don't know what is it is it like uh, you know' is I, I I mean
0: obviously you guys were 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 fishing for like the perfect deal but I, I can't imagine that like this far into your your career and you got you got like you know I was you're one of those bands who, 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 who wh- wh- When I look into you more and like realize like what, what a kind of a fan. Like you guys have a crazy, like intense, really super devoted fan base. Like I, I didn't realize like how, quite how deep, or, uh, how deep that went. So it sounds like I would imagine that like you wouldn't have trouble putting putting out a record. I think you could just, you know, especially
1: in this day and age, just self release a record. You know, I think for us, um, that question came up in the new business model of self release. Um, was pitched to us, and we're like, well, do we want this record to only reach the people who already know about us? Or do we want hmm. to try to uh, reach new people? And we always choose to reach new people yeah. rather than uh, try to cash in on our rabid fan base. And so, for us, we always try to find a situation where we'll get the most exposure. Um, and because, and that that stems from believing in our album and uh wanting people to hear it
0: yeah i mean that's you know if you are coming together every five years like it would be nice to see some like to see some new some some new people out in the audience
1: i mean it's a weird situation in the music industry where it's easier than ever to have people access your music yep. but it's harder than ever to step out above the fray and have people notice you and so uh I don't know how to get noticed. You know, we've been a band for 22 years, and our story is our trajectory. Yeah. You know, our music has changed so significantly over those years. We've grown up so much, and we are become better songwriters. That's a story, but that's not necessarily going to get a bunch of people to discover your album. So, um, so and so we go to boingboing.com, and we <laughs> say... .net. Take us to your people, <laughs> .net. Take us to your people and show us.
0: It, no, it's interesting though. It's like it's, you know th- this idea of like of of wide versus deep because that's something you guys have done really well. I mean, you you uh, my understanding is that you do all like the tour diaries and all all that stuff, right? So like you know m- m- maybe tr- m- maybe you haven't been the best at like discovering new people, but you've done a really good job at hooking those people who are interested in and that, and keeping them over. You know. 10 15 20 years
1: right and it's not a conscious thing where it's like how do i construct a cult following it's more like i'm the drummer behind a kit and i have no microphone i have no voice i like to write and here i am finding my voice and being funny and exposing some of the inner workings of the road Um, and so people have latched onto that with our road journal and ryan has taken the twitter to like a um, an artful level, uh, and so we enjoy that. We've never been a band that um, wanted a fourth wall yeah. up. We wanted that thing broken down. Even
0: even that even the term like sorry I got even even the term cult is is super loaded. Like it's one it's one of those things that you know we look at all these bands and you know in in hindsight, it's awesome that the Velvet Underground was a cult band, right? That like they didn't have a huge following when they were still around. But I mean, really, all anybody wants is. To be heard by people,
1: that's true. I know I, I, our band is never actively seeking a cult following. Yeah, we're seeking an audience that will like us, and you know, we we are not we're not trying to fly under the radar, but yeah. we're also not trying to fly over the radar. We're not like Taylor get too Swift. Too close to the sun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> we're just doing what we do, and yeah. our what we do is is pretty accessible. But uh, you know we've managed to run a career that's been based on touring based on a loyal fan base and not based on uh having a single that blew up and g- overexposed us
0: yeah i mean it, it is like it is a, you guys do have a really interesting career in that In that yeah you know it's you know obviously you're not like a a, a top 40 band right now but like over the years, you know, you guys have you guys have gotten some really good exposure. You guys have made your way onto like some very surprising movie soundtracks, and I we gotta assume that every time one of those things comes through, you get, at least get like a few more ba- a few more fans. You know, people outside of that really really deep fan base. So you guys, like the sum total of your fan base, has got to be a pretty interesting diverse collection of people.
1: Yeah, we have a diverse crowd. We we play live, and it's. It's a uh, fifty-five-year-old dad's with their eighteen-year-old yeah. daughters. Um, it's it's young old.
0: So okay, so let, let's talk about let's talk about timeline again. Like let's get back into this idea of, of of five years between a record. You know, you get back in the studio, everything's cool again. You're, you know, you guys are like, oh, we got another record. It's awesome. Um, but then, but then you sort of like let on at some point that like you know maybe we get back in the studio and those things aren't clicking. Then maybe that's Dan of the band, right? Maybe we don't have record, but I mean, isn't isn't Guster isn't 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 it this? I, I don't want to refer to this group of guys as this like abstract notion, but isn't it like isn't it kind of something that can exist indefinitely? I mean, does it matter if it's it ten years between records?
1: I, as long as the quality is there, I don't think so. I don't think it matters. You you have your doubts. No, I just was
2: kind of. A, it's not that I have doubts. It's just that I heard what. What's Ryan been thinking? Ryan's been saying that we don't dwell on, like, sentimental notions of yesteryear. Mm. Father Christmas! Ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. ho! Olden day, olden day. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like, uh, if do uh, yeah. <sighs> How do you stay hungry, man? You stay hungry by making, like, records that are fucking awesome and, like, putting everything can, into can it. Can you stay hungry
0: when you're in a band that records a record every, every five years? You
1: can when you haven't had uh, a degree of success. Yeah. And it's not like we're, like, uh, searching for that success. It's more just, like, we feel like our songs are maturing and getting better and, like, we're getting closer to a pop classic. Uh, You know, like I say, like, the songwriting... Keeps growing, and that's yeah. all I really care about. You t- you just touched on something r- really really interesting there, which is,
0: um, you know, th- on one side there's this notion of like we're, you know we're getting better better and things are getting more and more refined, uh, but right right, right there you, it, it sounded like you're chasing something, and w- you know when you say like a pop classic, like you're th- th- you you have an idea of something that you guys maybe haven't quite touched yet. Yeah,
1: I mean it's not like this. Uh, like- golden chalice at the end of a rainbow that we're just trying to reach and then we're there. It's more like like The strokes started with this amazing album yeah. and then they spent the rest of their career yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to make something as captivating and, and ultimately couldn't and how could they because they started yeah, yeah. off with something so pure and awesome. Record, yeah. For us, we started off with a parachute which we made in 1994 and was a bunch of college guys drumming their instruments and and belting out these harmonies and it was it was cool at the time but it's not going to be played yeah. on the jukebox in any bar so we had a long way to go and here we are 20 something years later and it's like oh yeah, yeah we've learned a lot we've 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 we spent our time listening to good music and having it seep into what we write and and we're on this this vector where we're creating something uh, that gets better and better so yeah i Regardless of anything else, I can tune it out and I can focus on. Let's write the next batch of twelve songs. Yeah. You know, and by then people won't even be listening to twelve song albums. They'll just be wanting you to release a song every two months on your website. Well, well this
0: this touches on something that I've been thinking about a lot lately with with people I've been interviewing like like, you know, within the space of a couple of weeks, I I talked to um to Sean Nelson from uh, from Harvey Danger. And uh, talked to Matt Sharp from you know like like Weezer and the Rentals and this and I asked them both the same question about like achieving a lot like w- w- whether achieving a lot of success early on in your career is a-, a blessing or a curse and got like two very very different answers from them but, you know from from Sean Nelson who started his career off with you know Harvey Danger and the Paranoia
1: pers- Paranoia yeah. every great
0: great fucking song no question about it but like. But, but but on one side you've got this idea of this band who like creates like a pretty fantastic pop cultural phenomenon and, and, and now you know now he's like comfortable self with himself and he, but he's still like constantly living with the idea that like he's never gonna get, get at least in terms of popularity get back up to that point versus you know Matt Sharp's take on this is like yeah of course I'm really happy that I got you know I was successful early on because I've been able to have this interesting indie rock career because i've got this built-in fan base this this success early on so ultimately the question is what is and i don't know if there's an answer to this you guys probably have more insight than i do as an outsider but like what's what's the ideal what's the what's the best scenario is the best scenario popularity or early on or is the best scenario having something to to chase?
1: I I mean, we never had that kind of popularity. I don't know yeah. if if, uh, if Fafa or Barrel of a Gun or De- yeah. Demons had been a big single when we were starting, if that would have helped us or hurt us. Maybe we would have been less hungry and uh, to make these last three albums, which I think are a big part of our legacy. Or maybe it would have uh, gotten a lot of people involved and uh, pushed us more. I mean, yeah. You know, I, I know our manager manages Nate from the band Fun, and all he told Dalton was he wanted a career like Guster's, and that was interesting to us because that's not what he got. No. <laughs> I mean, he did all right in his own way. <laughs> he got yeah. something else entirely. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's tough to say for us. We've always just been flying under the radar and writing writing great songs. And uh, well, the best.
0: I mean, the best bands and the be, you know, the best artists. You, you could probably speak to this being again like the the, the new guy relatively but are, are are the people something to prove right I mean that's what that's what makes for interesting art I mean that's what you that's what in, in a sense you've had when you started with these guys that's what you had on this new record being the first full record you play with them but but it's the people that like have something to prove and, and the best artists are the ones that like have achieved a you no know, success you know like a a, like a like a Dylan or a you know a Bowie who like have achi- achieved enough success, but in a weird way and in a good way,
2: always have something to prove to somebody. But, but maybe maybe these career artists, maybe having something to prove is one aspect that allows them to be career artists. But maybe like any relationship, maybe they just find different ways to fall in love with music yeah. over and over in different ways. And maybe at one point in their career, Emmy Lou Harris had to feel like she had had something to prove. Maybe at another point in her career. She just felt super connected to Rodney Crowell, right? And and found a different way to fall in love with like collaborating or fall in love with an instrument or a way of recording. So maybe like a relationship, you just have to find like different ways to keep coming back to it and yeah. fall in love with it enough to fully commit to it, to, to find something new in it. Um, and also,
1: yeah, that's all. I'll end on that. And, but I do think that competition definitely, like, uh, Helps people reach great heights. I mean, obviously, with the Beatles, they were so competitive; they all wanted yeah. their songs and it with themselves put, and with other other bands. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, both so. with themselves and with other bands, and that pushed them. And you know, at points in our career, you know, we we didn't know who was the lead singer. Um, you know, we we wanted to compete with bands who were more successful than us. We've been more motivated than other times, but. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I I, uh, I think not not having had a big successful single to this point, yeah, has kept us a little hungry, yeah, and not complacent. But you know, every album, when you sit down in the room, it's like, do I have a drive, yeah, or am I complacent? And you know, it took us a while this time to find that drive, to find that energy, to say, hey, I have something I want to say. Mm you know for Ryan he had to he had to take a long time to be like okay I'm into this you know and unless we have that we shouldn't be making music yeah mm. I have
2: uh, I have three mentors and one of them her name is Mary Martin she's uh, she's in her she's in her 70s she's from Canada she lives in Nashville and she managed Van Morrison for 25 years and she she signed Emmylou Harris Managed fan for 25 years What she says about her writers that she's worked with Is that none of them Are ready to make a record Until they're so filled up Mm. That they're overflowing with something to say So like her analogy is to always think about Like a bowl of water She wants you to fill it up Like when I talk to her and check in with her Her first questions are What am I reading? How much am I reading? What am I listening to? How much am I listening to? What am I doing outside of music That has nothing to do with music She always says like you're never ready to start writing until you're absolutely overflowing and bursting. That's something to yeah. say. And for us, this took a little time for us to auto align you know? I got, like, when I
0: uh, you know, when I first started my writing career, when I was talking to people like people I'd gone to college with and it's kind, it's kind of a stock answer it's a little bit cliche, but I'm sure you guys have given and gotten similar advice where um, you know, I, had a, I had a cousin who, wa- you know, I, I'd been ra- writing professionally for a few years and I had a cousin who wanted to get into writing and I I gave him the same cheesy advice that I gotten in, in college which is like, listen, go out there and figure out if there's anything else you can do in the world and if you realize that like this is the only thing that you can do, then absolutely do it. you know don't don't pursue a career in, in writing necessarily don't pursue a career in music unless you realize that like this is what you this is kind of what you have to do, that you're not going to be happy
2: doing anything else. But does that scare you a little bit? Because I heard the same thing about, like, Buddy Guy. Like, when I, I remember in seventh grade, I heard Buddy Guy say, that you should only try to be a professional guitar player if you can't live with guitar. Every single, and I was actually, it kind of scared, like, the yeah. shit out of me because I was like, you know, I actually think I can live with yeah. guitar. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. Did you find the same thing, like, with writing? Because, like, yeah, you're going to love it more than yeah. anything. But, like... I'm sure, I'm sure,
0: like in terms of like fiscal responsibility there are other things I could have done but I know that like and I think that writing and music are similar in that we see a lot of cases of people who pursue these other things people who become you know accountants and all these other things but like are still doing them on, on the on the sly but but are still like yeah who still go home and still write you know who still, who still play songs I mean do, do you guys think if you if for whatever reason if if, if being career musicians hadn't panned out. You think you still would have had that
1: drive? I would have found something else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but like there's 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 no better job than being in your own band. Yeah. Putting out your own songs. You know, feeling the reward of people appreciating your music. And so I wanna keep that going.
0: But you're saying, you're saying that, like, you know, if, if, if Guster hadn't been a big enough phenomenon for you guys to actually, like, have careers of it, that you wouldn't be in your Grateful Dead cover cover bands or something? No, or I don't do have,
1: like, an inner no. tribal musical uh, gravitational pull. I see. No, it's not like I need to do that. I would have yeah. just, like, been a journalist or a uh, m- masseuse. <laughs> the, the three the
0: three career options. <laughs> Drummer,
1: masseuse, I, I can't believe hours, I bro. pulled masseuse <laughs> out of my
0: I can't believe it was the only three I think you know you could have said like police officer and you. <laughs> yeah, you there. That was great. Nope. Word, I
1: want to touch strangers
2: <laughs> I mean
0: you know you might be different in that like you know that you've like you've been kind of more of a journeyman in the sense that like these guys have been in, in the same ever 20 22 years yeah. and you've been doing like just things in music
2: uh, you know what, uh, I'm confident <laughs> enough uh, with myself, uh, I'm sure that I would I would eventually find something else that I loved as much. Be but it a masseuse or be it a journalist. Yeah, exactly, but you know what, man, <laughs> I went full-time with music when I was 20 yeah. years old, um, and even in the past, I'm 35 now, the past 15 years, I actually have tried to step away, you yeah. know, and, and um, it's not to say that I won't step away at some later point, but... You know, I went and worked on, uh, I went and worked, uh, for an outfitter, guiding elk hunts and building fence and digging ditch, you know, and I've done manual labor, it's like, I've done demolition, like, I've, you know, but... Uh, and I've always returned to music more, more charged, more focused, wanting to do much better than I've done. So why, Constantly why? I want to be better than I am, and uh, I've just—that's just, that's just <laughs> the way that it's been the last fifteen years. Not to say in ten years like I won't want to like go back to school or like. Listen, you I, know, totally, be a carpenter. I totally, I, I totally get the
0: impulse that like you know maybe I don't want to be playing music anymore but enough that like you want to go off you, you would go off and dig a ditch like
2: <laughs> yeah it's just a fact like when I first moved to Nashville I was 20 years old you know and, yeah. and the first year was was pretty rough for me you know sure uh you know but that's like all my friends it's been like that you know and so I just like kind of I went and reevaluated. I went and like regrouped I was like is this something that I super want to commit to so I went and got certified by the state of the Wyoming to guide deer hunts and elk hunts and that's what I did And I did it for six months and I got super fit, I got super focused, I came back to Nashville and I just fucking buckled down and kicked ass, you know, and that's just what, that was my trajectory, you know, I've also super committed to music, I've, I've, I've lost a lot because of my commitment, um, you know, I went and lived in a tent for six months because the record label said I didn't have songs, I needed a studio to Nature write in, boys, see? but I couldn't, you know, afford a studio and a place to live, so I chose the studio and I went and lived yeah. on my friend's land while they were building a house, you know, I've done that, I've, I've lost you know, long-term relationships. Ultimately, you know, um, you know, I've committed to this more than anything in my life so far. And I always keep coming back to it with a deeper love for it.
1: But Luke is actually the one guy in our band who will always have work in music because he can play every instrument like a badass. The rest of us are kind of like college guys who happen to find an instrument in their lap. And, you know, we write good songs. But Luke's like the real musician, so when we go on tour, the hardest part on the song, oh, Luke Luke will play that one.
0: Even, even more than that, let's let, let's end this because I've had you guys um, a little long. But okay, you got your your fallbacks, you can guide deer tours and cool. dig that holes.
2: Was, that was just a reset. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm
0: wondering. I'm wondering. Like you know, you've got a family to support now. You know, if, if there if there's not another Guster record, what are you doing with your life?
1: I mean for me, like uh, uh, my skill set is like writing and other things that don't make anyone any money. Yeah, but uh, uh, massage therapist. You know, you cross these bridges when you come to them. When you're a musician, it's yeah. like you just get in get in the flow of what you're doing. You know, like a lot of people you just figure that out as as life kind of dictates it.
0: it it's hard, to say, it's hard to say and I know, I know you guys are taking lots of gaps, like you, know, a relatively long gap between records, but like you guys have at least another record in you, right? Feels,
1: it's hard to say. Is yeah. it, it comes down to what do we have to say? Are we yeah. driven to say it? And you know, life circumstances after this record will all just kind of look in the mirror and see, do we want to do this again? Is the vector moving where we want it to move? You know, do we have this? You know, maybe we'll get in the room and feel like do we feel inspired? You know, we but we're doing it for we're doing it for those reasons. Yeah. yeah. You know
2: what? You know my dad told me like a couple of weeks ago? I was like it's like, you know, like us here, you know we'll be touring we'll be touring a ton in the next couple of years and it's like, you know, we're just talking about like big picture life stuff, like five, ten years making plans. You know what my dad's like, he's like, you know what man? He's like you're good, and it's like the caveat is like I don't have much to fall back on. It's not like I'm not trust fund or anything like that. So it's like it's not like if I stopped all this, I would yeah. just have a cushion. But my pop was really cool. My, you know, he's just like you know what, man, you're always good, bro. He's like you will just be good. You will just always find drive to be to be able to support a family, to be able to do what you need to do, provide for yourself and your family. And it's it's and I just that's like something that's kind of personal, but it's also like kind of recent. It's a recent realization for me is that like absolute confidence that like I will be good. Yeah. If it's not music, it's going to be something else. Like what I enjoy about music the most actually isn't even music. It's like it's the connection with a peer group at the highest level possible. Just so happens to be that for me, music is the vehicle. It's like when we're making a record with Swift, there's like moments in there like on Endlessly or Gangway where we're really touching on some next level shit. That for me is like why I'm in it. You know, like when I'm doing session work in Nashville. 30 second connections with my peers at a very high level you know we'll find that we'll find, you know in writing but maybe it'll always be music you never know it's like sure you know it, but
0: and and because of that I mean that's 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 precisely the reason why like especially for you like doing this specific thing after 22 years I mean it sounds like it sounds like because you guys are doing it kind of off and on that like if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen but I and it, part of me just doesn't buy that from the standpoint of like it's going to be really fucking hard to just not be in a rock and roll band anymore, I'm guessing. Like, I'm part of you, you know, there's no way you're not going to miss it.
1: Yeah, it definitely would be a transition to go from living on a tour bus for 15 years to uh, working in an office, which is why none of us will go to working in an office. I mean, you know, Luke's Luke's skill set on every instrument is like... And his... Dig, his is is digging and so and elk, <laughs> two broken dig outhouses. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be a tough transition. Yeah. We've had a good life, we've had a charmed life to this point, um, and we've you know. Uh, but,
0: but I get this. Uh, it's uh, you know. And it, it, it. Yeah, right, I'm, okay.
1: I'm, I mix <laughs> this song. <laughs> <laughs> I mix this shit. Okay. Is that right? So, so this is, Marvin, is Marvin Gaye. What's
2: going on? Just came. No, it's it's Motown. No, it, but James Oh, Jameson. Oh, so, yeah, so, so James yeah, Jamerson yeah, yeah. was playing. Was a, oh, yeah. for those listening, is a wonderful session bassist. Bass, he was actually a jazz bassist. Bass, he played upright. The funk brother. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then he was a funk brother. When Motown became a label, he was the pro, you know the primary yeah. session bassist. But um, he was also a big drinker. And when they were when they booked the session to cut "What's Going On," they actually he didn't show up. And they had to send someone out to the bar they found him, and he was so drunk, and I heard that this was the first or second take, and then he cut this on laying on his back on the floor of the studio, the baseline of what's going on, which is now like a seminal classic one of the best baselines ever recorded. I transcribed every note of it.
1: it it's a shame there was no camera on him
2: so, so you get like you know you get back in the studio
0: things things click a, you know things click a little bit, and, and I get this too like again, it's not at the same level, but you know I'll I'll forget how much I enjoy going out in front of a crowd of people or something like that or you know or like doing something on stage but the minute the minute you get back up there the minute you're on again it's like oh yeah like this is what I've been missing for
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean playing live is great. You know, as we get older the most relevant thing is making records. So mm. I mean, it feels like you have a chance to add to your legacy, to yeah. reinvent yourself whereas touring you're out there and you're showing what you what you can do and you're feeling the feedback from the people which is nice and uh, you know playing we've always been a live band that you know translates yeah. really well to a live audience so we have to do it and we like doing it well uh, well, we'll reconvene here after
0: the next arc and I'm, I'm just going to be really curious to to um, how it's going to feel different once you, once you get back on stage in front of 200 people and, you know, in Dusseldorf or
1: wherever where the hell you're playing. like It's weird. It'll, it'll actually feel much more vibrant and potent yeah. there because we'll be playing to people that haven't seen us yeah. a bunch. We'll be playing the people who will have a first impression of us that's different than Americans' first impression of us. And it, it, we're, we're kind of, we'll be playing our new album. And, you know, to the extent that this is a reinvention of our band and maybe we should have named this album Guster, Guster, we'll see uh, how much that works. But we'll definitely be pretty inspired playing these songs, you know, and not necessarily rehashing an old song from 1998 that we have played a million times.
0: Yeah, that was Brian and of Guster. I uh, did that one at uh, one of my favorite bars in New York. That was Grassroots, one of uh, one of the last few remaining really good divey bars in in Manhattan. So uh, uh, I probably I'm, I'm guessing that I don't have to tell you this, but you know, full disclosure, I was a, a, a few or a couple between a couple and a few uh, whiskeys deep during that conversation i assume that, that came across a little bit but i know that we certainly had fun talking um so thank you so much to those guys for for doing that uh, new album is out now came out in january i uh, recorded this right before the release out now ever motion you can find that on their uh, network records label uh thank you so much to those dudes for doing that thank you thanks uh thanks to shorefire for setting up i thought it was a super fascinating conversation i think it's really you know it's 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 interesting to talk about uh, a band that's been it's been a band for for a while you know certainly uh so got some interesting insight between you know, Brian, who's who's been there since pretty much the beginning, and, and Luke, who uh, that was his first. Uh, it was actually his first first record with the band. Uh, so thank you so much to them. Uh, thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to Brian, as always, for editing this thing together. Uh, thanks to Mark and everybody else at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. Plenty of fine podcasts. You can find those over at iTunes. And while you're over at iTunes, you should take the opportunity to rate the show because it's literally it's all that we ask of you folks out there. Little little, little ratings on itunes man, you know maybe tell somebody that's it two things just two things no money i've been doing ads the i'm literally literally losing money doing this podcast right now so uh, but thank you so much for listening uh, uh we've got uh, tumblr that is the first and the best place to find all the information about the show um, you should follow us there. It's rilcast.tumblr.com. We'll have some information, some some fun stuff surrounding the the 100th episode of the show. So it's, uh, it's only this is 96. It's only four episodes away. So stay tuned for that. If you've got any feedback or anything else, you can send us a note. It's at gmail.com. Uh Got lots and lots of good. So many shows, so many good shows lined up. We will be back just about this time next week with another episode of R.A.Y.L.